Welcome to Mountain Whispers Podcast. I'm Tim Stewart and this is a show exploring the deeper lessons we learn from the outdoors. I chat to interesting people within mountain culture about how they got to where they are, peak experiences, flow, lessons around fear, risk, death, wisdom, everything in between. Uh, the aim is to explore how adventure sports and time spent in the outdoors help us find meaning and transformation in a world that is getting increasingly difficult to navigate. Today I chat to Tucker Walsh. Tucker is an Emmy Award winning documentary filmmaker turned transformational coach or travel guide for the soul. Tucker is a fascinating, wise and very in tune human whose experience in the transformational space very much aligns with the exploration of this podcast. I met Tucker in my favorite corner of the internet. Uh, It's now being called the Liminal Web. It's a a network of people following uh, the thinkers who appear on YouTube channels like the Stoa or Rebel Wisdom uh, that's focused on how we might find a a plan B or a, a game B to addressing the clusterfuck of problems that our world is facing right now. Anyway, a little more on Tucker. Uh, As I mentioned, he's a documentary filmmaker. Um, By his late 20s, he'd achieved all the marks of material success that our culture tells us we should have and tells us will make us be happy, but um, struggled to find meaning, like many of us do. Uh, Thanks to a therapist, he was put onto the work of Bill Plotkin, which eventually led to a wilderness vision quest in the mountains of of Colorado, and Tucker experienced a a powerful transformation, a a death-rebirth experience of sorts that completely shifted the trajectory of his life. For those not familiar, a a vision quest or a wilderness quest or wilderness vision quest is a, a ceremonial rite of passage where one undertakes the challenge of solitude, fasting and exposure to to the elements in nature with the intention of helping us to face our fears, affirm our inner strengths and, and capacities and, and listen to our souls or or uh, what's what's beneath the surface. Tucker shares a number of stories about this experience, but we also explore why this experience is so powerful. Why, why taking ourselves away from the sense of security that we find from the comfort of our homes or our reliable access to food opens us up to experience the full, powerful magic of Mother Nature. Heads up that in the middle there is quite a bit of talk about spirit and soul and I'm aware of if you haven't engaged with Bill Plotkin's work or anything in the, the depth psychology space, it it may be a little bit too too heady, but uh, outside of that, there's there's plenty of uh, really powerful stories that Tucker shares about his experience and and growth since. Um, so I really enjoyed this episode. Tucker is an, an awesome awesome human. Uh, without further ado, here he is. I'm here with Tucker Walsh. Tucker, welcome to Mountain Whispers. Hello, how are you? It's a pleasure to be on with you. Yeah, I am well. I am well here in uh, in a, a wintry BC. Uh, tell us about we are in Costa Rica, maybe. I am here in a not as wintry Costa Rica, and it's beautiful. It's uh, yeah, it's, it must be around 80 degrees and it's sunny and the dry season is here in full swing. So the roads are starting to get a bit dusty and there's like a fine mist of dust on all the trees nearby. And, um, and but then there's like butterflies that emerge out of the dust and it's quite, it's actually quite magical. And yeah, I'm at this community called Pachamama. There's about 250 or so people that are here as either visitors or residents. It's an Osho-inspired community, and it's on a massive piece of property. I'm not sure how many acres, um, but it used to all just be this more or less deserted, dead farmed land that was for cattle. And over the past two decades, um, the people that built this community planted one tree at a time and created this incredibly lush tropical jungle that's just brimming with life and, and howler monkeys and 
all sorts of snakes and spiders and trees and it's uh, um yeah it's it's a um when humans kind of set their intention to that to that focus and a little bit of a miraculous fairy dust to sprinkle on top and uh yeah here we are two decades later in this beautiful oasis it's beautiful well tucker this project is an exploration of the deeper lessons that we learn from the outdoors and um the the reason i wanted to have, have you on was um uh one for for your wisdom i don't know uh from the the last couple of months that we've got to know each other i've, I've got a lot from you but uh, particularly the story of um how um i guess your transition from um working in the film industry to uh, uh the transformation that came um after that um so uh I, i'd love for you to share uh a little bit more about that experience start uh, wherever you want, whether it's that transformation or whether your, um, or whether your relationship with the outdoors and the, the magic of the outdoors started sooner than that. Mm. Well, I was super lucky to grow up with a family that traveled all over the world. We went to very off the beaten path, um, developing countries where not a lot of tourists would go, especially not with young children. And so I've always had this understanding that um, the world is a massive, magical, beautiful place and nature is, um, nature is, you know, abundant and comes in many different, um, like delicious colors and palettes and textures. And so that was always um, a big part of my life. I, I grew up living on a lot of different islands in Maine and Connecticut and, um, and, and even New York City, which I guess technically is an island. And, um, and so I've always had a really strong connection to the ocean, to the rocks, to the seaweed, to the salt water, and um, to skiing as well in the mountains. But when I turned like 24 or so, I moved to Los Angeles and I actually lived three blocks on the beach. So I, I was still close to the nature there. But I, I really started to become essentially a full-blown workaholic and my career was taking off. I was doing film, um, documentaries and advertising and traveling all over the world and staying in these kind of fancy hotels and flying first class and just traveling nonstop and making all this money. And I was kind of checking all the, the boxes of what it means to be quote unquote successful in the Western industrialized society that we're part of. And I, my, my soul just started to eat at me after a while. It, I felt on, even though external, externally, I was, I was kind of more, um, like I said, successful than ever before. Internally, I felt this, this deepening hole, and I come to call it later a sort of a God-sized hole. And basically, there was, no, there was nothing um, in my life that really went beyond the material level. I, um, photography is something that I discovered when I was 13, and it was this huge passion for me. It was really an art form. It was like a, a form of um, art therapy and creativity and just expressing the, the beauty I saw in life. But as I got more into advertising, that soul, so to speak, was a little bit sucked out um, from under me. And I began just kind of living on this material level. And so one day I went to a psychiatrist and I was expecting to be prescribed um, antidepressants. And instead he looked at me and he said, Tucker, I'm not gonna prescribe you medication, but I am gonna prescribe you a book. And he handed me this book called Nature and the Human Soul by Bill Plotkin. And I looked at him, I was like, oh yeah, cool, thanks. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on my bookshelf and add it to my list. And then he looks at me, he goes, no, read it today. And it was almost like the entire universe was shaking me awake. And, and I just felt the, the tremor in his, in his soul, basically. It was like his soul was speaking to my soul. And it was almost like we, the story I'm creating now is that we were like meant to come together to have that moment so that the universe could, could basically shake me awake. So I got home and I started reading that book and Bill Potkin is a depth psychologist and he runs vision quest ceremonies. And um, a lot of it is based off Jungian psychology. And he basically created this developmental map uh, from birth to death. And what the book is, is brilliant. It, it compares basically what he perceives as a proper, healthy um, growth and development for someone that lives with a, with a, uh, close connection to nature and to community. And then he compares that to how the average Western adult like myself grows up in, in our sort of materialist society. 
And so I was able to see not only the possibilities of healthy development, but also the shadows that I had grown up with, a lot of which I was blind to at that point. And I realized that I had basically gone to the end of a certain stage of development. And that stage was sort of um, the, the adolescent stage of, and this is psycho-spiritually speaking, it's not related to our age, but psycho-spiritually, I'd, I'd reached the end of that adolescent stage where I needed to kind of fit in and to have my gifts in the world and to feel like I had acceptance and belonging. And I'd sort of done that. I had won the awards. I had received the praise from my colleagues and my friends and my family. And I sort of did the thing that I was supposed to do um, by society standards. And now it's like, okay, the next step is to go in this cocoon journey. So the caterpillar goes into the cocoon to metamorphosize into the butterfly. And what this book did was it revealed to me that there's a whole nother universe of possibilities for how I could live my life. And in order for me to step into that new Tucker, basically, into that new soul-oriented place, I needed to first die. I needed to first um, basically let go of the life that I had spent my entire life since I was 13 years old constructing. And what's interesting is that I was having suicidal ideation at that, at that point. Like I remember being at a really fancy resort in Big Sur and looking out over this big giant cliff onto the ocean and just feeling like, gosh, I wish I could just jump. And this is the same today that, that I found out I won a bunch of big awards. And so it was, it was clear to me that, um, that my soul like actually wanted to die, but it didn't want to physically die. What I actually realized is that I wanted to die psycho-spiritually and to kind of be reborn into a new possibility. So I read this book. I signed up right away for the, the next vision quest that Bill Plotkin's company, Animus Valley Institute, was offering. And that was a couple months later. And I went to this vision quest and yeah, it was basically, we can dive more into that after, but um, it was the first, one of many first steps in me, metaphorically speaking, jumping off of that cliff and, and dying um, with a bow to my past life and welcoming and whatever wanted to be reborn. Uh, and nature was, nature was, it was like the womb that I would be reborn into. Um, so I'll pause there. Mm. Yeah, th th thank you for for setting it up that well. That, that's a, a a beautiful story. Um, and and we will definitely go into to the the experience of the vision quest. Um, what comes up for me as you're sharing that is that um, I feel like every individual goes through some stage of that experience, you know, or, or some stage of that developmental model. Uh, and I'm curious um, if you see it, you probably see a lot of those stories uh, in the community you're in and uh, Pachamama community in Costa Rica right now. Do you? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. This is a, a place for people um, to die and be reborn consciously. Not everyone actually knows that that's what's going to happen when they come here, but uh there's actually a workshop that's ending today. It's called Five Days to Live and Die. And literally 10 minutes ago, right before this, this, this podcast started, I saw a friend of mine and I just gave her a big hug. And she says, I, was, I, I died two times this week. And I, I just looked at her and I said, well, welcome back to life. And so, yeah, this is, and it, it's no coincidence that, you know, a few years after my own death and rebirth journey, um, that I'm drawn to a place like this that's helping others go through that transformational process. Yeah. I'm curious in that experience um were there it sounds like the, the time with the, the therapist was that awakening moment the universe shaking you. I'm curious if there was any glimmers before or or um what out what the other signs from the universe were for that. Yeah. Well, Tim, we're going to need to make a four-hour podcast to dive into all that because it was it was a full-blown earthquake that happened around that same time period, and so that's one of the stories. Another story that I could that I could share is that um, one of the last documentary projects that I did before I I um, quit my job as a film director was um, a nonprofit project for the Truth Initiative about the opioid epidemic, and I. Um, was directing a film about a woman named Rebecca who was a heroin addict and she was detoxing. We filmed her detoxing for four days to raise awareness about the crisis. 
And on the first day while she was still withdrawing from heroin, I was interviewing her and she looked at me and she goes, Tucker, you don't look so good. And I just remember being like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you're, you're literally withdrawing from heroin and you're telling me the hotshot director, you know, that, that I don't look so good. Like, and I was really offended, but then I realized that she basically was seeing herself in me. She, she saw that I was a bit of a walking zombie at that point. I was kind of there, but not there. Um, there wasn't really a lot of life behind my eyes. And I, I, I really think that we became mirrors for each other. And actually just to fast forward a little bit, we're, we're, we're good friends now. She's um, three years sober and is doing remarkably well. We both, we both, share every time we speak that we we essentially saved each other's lives and so that moment i realized like okay wow if this person had said that to me that was another moment where the universe shook me through the vessel of rebecca and uh, i started going to al-anon meetings actually uh, my my partner my wife at the time was um struggling with bipolar disorder and uh, she was uh, yeah I, I really felt like i needed some spiritual support and i grew up in an atheist family i never went to church at all i didn't really have a connection to that to, to god or to religion and so al-anon was um part of the reintroduction of bringing um christianity back into my life actually in a very in a very um basic way you know there it was, it's based loosely off the christian principles but uh, it was a lot about surrendering to god it was it, it's the 12 steps sort of outline a, a death and rebirth process as well and um, so that was happening simultaneously. And then um, Sam, my partner, and I ended up separating after 10 years together. We met, she was my high school sweetheart, and um, we, we, we just separated in the most loving, beautiful way possible. And then I decided to leave LA and I moved to a remote island in Maine, and I lived mostly in solitude for, for two years um, on remote islands. And I uh, sold my laptop and donated a lot of my, the money that I had earned. And, um, just quit all my social media accounts and um, started like I went became like a vegan and you know it was like a whole cataclysmic series of events happened one after the next and the more dominoes fell the more the the speed of the dominoes fell it was like it was like this quickening process um, wow and, and yeah so yeah I'm the time on uh, the time in solitude that was was that before uh, the vision quest with animus valley so the, <laughs> the the funny thing is and i guess i could say this is coincidence i mean i don't i'd say it's synchronistic um but it was in um from another perspective coincidental timing the day that i left my la apartment i moved out was the day that i went to my vision quest ceremony so i sold all of my furniture i sold everything i owned and i consolidated everything so like two big boxes that I shipped across the country to my dad's house and basically put in storage. And then I had my one backpack with my camping gear and I went to Southern California, the Anzabrego desert. And I did my, my first vision quest with Animus. And so the timing was just like, it couldn't, I mean, it's, it's, it couldn't have been more perfect. Mm. Well, but I, I, I guess it, it sounds like, uh, the, the timing of, of the vision quest is perfect, but it was one of a number of dominoes in the, the process of transformation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, yeah. well, tell us, um, tell us exactly what a course a vision quest with, with animus Valley entails and, and what that experience is like. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Cause when you say exactly, it's, um, you know, I've done, so I've done, just to give a little bit of context, I did one uh, soul quest, I believe is what they call them, which is their vision quest program. And I believe it's about 10, 11 days in total. For four of the days, we are fasting um, and camping solo. And so what that means is that um, each individual that participates, I believe there's about 20 of us in the group are, are alone in nature. And it's we are way the fuck out there. I don't, I don't even know. There was nobody, there were no other hikers that were passing by or anything. Like we were completely alone. And, um, and we didn't have tents. Um, you had the option of bringing a tent, but most people just used a tarp. And so this was in January, January of 2018, I want to say, um, potentially 2019. And, um, and it was freezing cold. There was a cold snap that came through. I mean, it was January, it was winter, but there was, it was particularly cold. It was in the thirties at night. 
and none of us really came prepared with the right um, the right clothing and for that because it was kind of a, a fluke freak um, temperature snap and we um, were fasting as well so our body temperatures were not like we were we got colder more easily because we didn't have food in our bodies and so it was and then it was raining a lot throughout our time so it was weather wise um the facilitator said it was one of the most challenging vision quests that they've ever run and participated in um so that made it extra difficult but at the same time there were double rainbows that came out some days and um you know often like the more challenging life is the more miraculous it, it is on the other side um and that's that's a lesson i've come to learn time and time again and the vision quest was a perfect example of that of like you know, really digging into the fire and allowing that to transmute us in the most beautiful way possible. Um, so that was one program I did. And then I ended up signing for uh, signing up for a year long program in 2020. And I got halfway through that and then COVID hit and they kept delaying it and delaying and delaying it. But of course, as we all know, COVID sort of has gone on now and it's still going. So they ended up canceling the second half of that program. Um, but there were two outings that I did, one in Joshua Tree and one in Arizona. And so each of the three in-person Vision Quest programs that I did was uh, were completely transformational and life-changing, like just unbelievable. It's, it was totally surreal and unbelievable how they played out. And I really owe my, my, my literal and life to, to Animus. I've actually... Uh, about a year ago, I told my dad that if I if I pass away early, I, all the savings that I have left over, I want to go to to Animus Valley to the nonprofits um, in the form of you know scholarships for other people that go on these Vision Quest programs. So, yeah, I really couldn't speak more highly about the the program and the people, the facilitators, Bill Plotkin, all of his books. It's truly um, for, for me, it was it was truly truly life changing life-saving <laughs> yeah so tell us more about how the the soul quest itself is is so transformational the the, the way i i like to think about it is is often through um the the lens that jamie Weir will apply where there's there's a number of different modalities that can lead to deeper introspection um deeper connection with soul and, and therefore transformation and my sense is, is that the, the one, like the fact that you're so far remote is, is a factor as is the fasting, as is the, the fear of uh, everything in the darkness, et cetera. What was that experience like for you? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because there's two parts of me. One is um, the one that wants to give a really complex answer and break down all the different mythologies and methods and practices and that come together through various different lineages and they're synthesized in this beautiful 10 day experience that creates this transformational experience. But on the, or I'll say, and on the other hand, it's super simple, you know, it's like go out in the woods, wherever you are for four days, don't eat any food, um, face like brutal weather conditions and you're gonna have a transformational experience. Sorry, is it really loud in the background? It's pretty loud. Okay, um, let me pause. And there's there's two different parts of me. There's there's one that wants to complexify it and really break it down into the granular aspects of what makes a vision quest a vision quest. And I could talk about all the little modalities and the tools and the practices and the approaches that we take and how they weave them all together into this beautiful you know ten days that are utterly life changing. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's really simple. It's just go out into nature for four days without eating food and be completely alone and your all your demons and your shadows and the monsters will come out and you'll have to face your deepest fears and then you'll make it through or even if you don't make it through you'll still learn all the lessons you need to learn and it's kind of just i mean that's pre-indigenous right like that's a, that is indigenous to the human experience no matter what culture or time frame or lineage that you come from being out in nature alone and facing our fears is is basically what it means to be a human 101 and so there's something that was just so primally familiar about the vision quest experience and the vision quest container through an organization like animus valley helps to really fine tune and hone in on the experience. And, and, and I, I see that as completely invaluable, but I also feel like 
just being alone in nature, um, you know, even if it's just for an hour hike without the distraction of our devices and maybe just doing something as simple as rattling or singing a song or talking to a tree or um, inviting this fear to come up and then um, talking to it and speaking to it as if it's uh, sort of an archetype or a character. I mean, there's countless little ways. And I feel like our, if we if we really have the desire for a soul to speak to us, um, all we have to do is wait and listen and, and it'll happen. And um, there's uh, some techniques that can catalyze or speed up that process or, or help reveal it perhaps but it's it's again it's it just feels like it's um it's like a natural outcome alchemical process of the human transformational experience does that make sense what i'm saying it does it does what what um comes up uh it, for me initially is is making uh, a little bit of sense uh around um around what it is or maybe this call me out if you don't think that's helpful because i think that what you called out about it's 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 very easy to break down the complexities of of things and, and lose the true magic of it and really the 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 magic of it is is super simple but what what i'm thinking about is uh the the skeptical side of me before i found this magic in uh in, in trying to find why this is powerful um and i'm going some of this work with me um that i I, i'm reading a book uh, by gary lockman called the the lost knowledge of the imagination and what what it's talking about is um how the the shift that that has happened in human history of um uh inside world versus outside world and that um it it seems like let me do my very best to explain it because i feel like people have cut it a lot of different ways and that um the the imaginal world or the um what we're able to the inner world that we're able to project on the outside world such as um speaking to to soul or speaking to uh to to nature um when we're in these circumstances uh was very much the norm for the vast majority of of human history and it's only been in the last let's say two thousand years with with aristotle that we've started to slowly uh block off um block off or create seal a connection between the the outside world that we can more successfully objectively measure versus the inner world where the alchemy happens. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm catching up to where you're getting at now. And here's what I just say to that is that what animus provided for me personally was a really great map that illuminates different dimensions of life and i'm not even going to say the human experience because i think it's more of life it's consciousness itself and how it wants to shape shift and then it provides a community um, which is the people the facilitators the elders the, the the participants and then it provides practices for those individually and collectively to go through uh, these transformational experiences that basically help illuminate the map they help make the map into the territory that then gets transmuted into like the DNA of our beings um, and awakens our soul um, and our, our soul actually becomes then the map for other people to go on their own transformational experiences. So what the, what you were just speaking to points to the map aspect and to use Bill Plotkin's languaging, he talks about the upper world, the middle world and the lower world. Uh, the upper world is the world of spirit. And so that's just basically consciousness. That's, that's white light. That's just the pure potent creative life force um, energy that, that gives shape to everything that arises in, in consciousness. Um, and the middle world is basically the world of the human ego and the material world. And um, that's the world that our Western society is 95% framed around. Um, and that's the world that I was lost in, in Los Angeles and why I felt so empty and, and disconnected from my soul and um, had um, this feeling of really wanting to, to die and be reborn as some, uh, 
to be dying to die and be reborn anew. And the underworld is the world that gets the least spoken about in my at least in the circles that I'm in. Um, but like you just pointed to, it's actually the world that many indigenous and traditional cultures are familiar with um, for most of human history. It's only until like, literally the past couple hundred years that we've disconnected away from this, this underworld experience. But it's something we all experience every single night when we dream. And so the underworld is essentially the world of the deep imaginal, the dream world, the um, the our, using our imaginations, it's the astral realm, the realms of different, um, yeah, different like archetypes and monsters and stories and journeys that are unfolding, myths, myths and poetry and arts. And like, that's more of the, the underworld. And so that's really what Bill Plotkin is, um, is helping to illuminate in his books. But of course, he does it in an integral way, because if we just focus on the underworld and we disconnect from the middle world and the upper world that we're not really in whole integritous beings that can live a whole integritous life and so they're all connected but animus definitely and the vision quest experience is definitely about diving deep into that underworld um dimension of reality and illuminating it and like literally bringing light to the darkness and then once we bring light to the darkness and we start to see what's what's there we then turn off the lights and then we sit in the complete darkness and we sit in the mystery and we invite the darkness to actually overtake the light, which is pretty counter to what most spiritual teachings are about, which is about illuminating the darkness. Um, and I think that relates to your question about what it was, what was it like to be in, in the darkness and the fear and, and overcoming that. And for me, and that really showed up in Arizona. Um, I was camping alone on this cliff and I think it was a new moon. And so it was extra particularly dark and, they invited us to go on walks without our flashlights in the middle of the night, like literally at three in the morning. And, um, and you know, there's, this is the desert in Arizona. So there's all sorts of snakes and spiders and poisonous things. And it was just taking one step at a time and one step at a time. And then you would hear the bushes and I talked to, you know, the ancestral spirits or what, whatever it is that I felt was arising at that time, I was going through a lot of grief having separated with my partner 10 years. And so, there were times where I was just roaring with, with um, kind of rapturous grief that felt both ecstatic and also the most painful thing I'd ever experienced. And it was like walking that fine line between those two extremes. And then they almost became one. It was like the duality between pain and pleasure kind of collapsed into itself. And it was just experiencing, experiencing. And um, that that's when the upper world, the middle world, and the lower world all kind of collapse and become one again. And, and that's, that's a really beautiful and magical process. Um, but in order to get there, it really helps to actually fracture out consciousness and to illuminate different aspects of it and then invite people into practices that can begin to collapse them back into, into their singularity again. Um, so I just jumped around a bunch of little topics and I'm happy to dive deeper into any of those rabbit holes or, or go somewhere else. Yeah. First off, just share a little bit more about the experience of the the collapsing. It sounds like that's like a a, a peak experience within that that process. Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah. The what's arising for me right now is the memory of being in Arizona as the sun is setting and the sky is just utterly beautiful. I mean, it looks like a, the most incredible painting you've ever seen and there's all these bats that are flying around and, you know, bats have this, um, I was bitten by a bat in my bedroom when I was a little kid. And so for me, I was always had a fear around bats. Um, but they also are these really interesting creatures that eat mosquitoes and then <laughs> those are the mosquitoes that would, you know, bite us. And so there's, there's a lot of mythology and, and bats. And of course, it's not really about their pop culture mythologies. And it's really about what, a, what are, what are the myths that I Tucker create about, the animals and the species that we're encountering. Um, but as I was walking down this hill to go to the to our dinner as a group, I was alone and I was just crying my eyes out with, with grief at how I didn't, at that point, I wasn't sure how my life could go on without my partner, without Sam. Um, I met her when I was 18. She was my best friend, my soulmate, my, my lover, my uh, her family was my family. Her parents were my parents in many ways. And 
I just, I didn't, I didn't know how life would be possible without her. And so I was just feeling this extraordinary pain, but everything around me was so unbelievably beautiful. And these bats were flying and darting right past my head and eating these bugs. And it was like this magical scene. And so I was, I felt the bliss of this external world. And, and then I felt the pain of this internal world. And then I realized that I am that which is holding all of this simultaneously. Like I am the space, I am the consciousness, I am the, the God or the spirit that is literally giving birth to all of this happening simultaneously. And what I felt was I felt alive. Like I just felt so alive. I felt like I was on a roller coaster of highs and lows and, um, and it felt great because remember, as I was speaking to, I felt numb prior to this you know I felt I was shuffling around airports filming all these projects and I, I was just kind of using work to numb myself to, to to be kind of that zombie and that's what Rebecca felt when she was high on heroin she was just numbing her life away and she saw that in me and so to feel so much and to feel so much in both extremes simultaneously just reminded me that life can be so rich and delicious and that's to me why bringing in these different maps that illuminate different aspects of the human experience and then trying to integrate them and synthesize them all into our daily lives as much as possible. Um, that's been probably the biggest takeaway from my, from my time and experience with Animus. And it's still a daily practice that I attempt to cultivate every moment that I'm alive. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I I appreciate you you calling out earlier about um, the the uh, and also in, in our previous conversations the limitations of of maps and, and getting uh, overly focused on maps to to the point that it um, takes away from from the experience, um, but being able to use a map to 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 guide you through the the, the territory often allows one to to be able to navigate themselves through those spaces a little more effectively yeah and so what animus does is they create maps to help you get rid of the maps <laughs> it's it's a total paradox they're like hey here's a map for how to get lost and then once you're lost throw away the map burn it in the fire and then find your own way out um, but don't worry you won't be alone because your soul will be there to guide you home and if your soul doesn't, if you can't like connect to your soul at that moment, don't worry, ask the butterflies, ask the mouse, ask, ask the stars, ask the, the, the evil spirits that are emerging that want to kill you. Oh, they want to kill you. And they're, they're haunting you in your dreams. How about this? Why don't you let them kill you? Let them, let them slit your throat open with, you know, an ax. Like there were crazy dreams that I would have about being beheaded and all this stuff and like allow it to happen. And so it's, it's not about finding your way out of the woods. It's about finding your way into the woods and then destroying the maps and then allowing soul to rewrite a new map that is your one specific map. Um, and it's not for anyone else. It's not even to be shared with anyone else. It's really like a, it's really like rewriting your, the source code of your soul. Uh, yeah. <laughs> rewriting the source code of your soul that's beautiful it's a, a beautiful way of talking of the the efficacy of maps um the, the, i used to it's something that that it's very present for me um uh in any of this practice um is uh the amount of time it takes in order to unlearn that uh the things from the modern world that, that shut out um, the, the underworld and the, um, and the, the upper world. So when I, um, I, I actually remember uh, in, it would have been 2017. It's, it's funny. I, I had a, a similar transformation, nowhere near the same degree as, as yours. Um, but when I was super, uh, burnt out from the corporate world and um and spent a couple of years in south america but i i remember um uh my first plant medicine ceremony was um 
No, it was actually my second. My first one was terrible, but my second one <laughs> was on uh, with with uh, the Wachuma cactus, and I remember dancing between um, the visionary embrace of the magic of it, and at the same time, radical skepticism. I remember there being a moment of like, "Hang on, like, is this even that different to a bunch of hippies just dropping acid in a loft?" You know, I. Um, and what of what I may now able to reflect on, kind of three years later, is um, it, the it comes back to the King Keys line. The world is full of 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 magic and wondrous things, patiently waiting for the the senses to grow sharper. And I, I read Soulcraft by Bill Plock in uh, probably early last year, and um, make a practice out of spending time in nature. Uh, opening up my senses to it, but it's very much a, a, a slow process. And I can see why um, Animus Valley structure it as a four day intensive to really open the doors up. Um, but I still think there's a lot of, there's a lot of walls to break down for the, the average uh, uh, conditioned human. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that I experienced very potently at 12-step programs was that often it takes people hitting rock bottom in order for that breakthrough to happen. It's, uh, it's like pounding our heads against the pavement until it cracks open, essentially. And I, like, I want to believe that it doesn't always take a remarkable amount of suffering to create transformational change. And I don't, I don't actually believe that, but it's a very common approach <laughs> that, uh, that humans tend to take. Um, and I, I think that's going to change more and more, you know, as stuff like vision quests become more popularized and more mainstream, they're both going to potentially lose their potency as more and more facilitators and companies will begin to offer them. And, and it will sort of take away from the power of, um, of what some like animus does is it's sort of like yoga, you know, yoga as originally practice was this very, um, it was a way of connecting to source and, and basically being in a space of witness consciousness of Samadhi. And now it's sort of something you do to stretch your body and listen to like fun music. And that's beautiful as well. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not like one of these, um, uh, uh, I don't know, like um, traditionalist or something like this, but at the same time, I guess my larger point is that um, as human development and societal development moves more from this materialist individualistic society into more of a communal collective um, healing spiritually oriented soul infused culture all of this stuff is going to become more and more accessible it's going to become more normalized and it's going to require less suffering i i want to believe in order for people to go through these experiences and it might just become a normal rite of passage that is infused into our, our collective, you know, initiations that we have. And so that is, that's my hope. Um, but right now, at least for me and my journey, and I know for many of my friends, it, it really takes a tremendous amount of, of suffering in order to break from the pack of the masses, which is um, not operating in a place where that's, typically something people do like most people that i tell about the vision quest experience think it's kind of crazy or or oh you must have been so scared and all this stuff and and to me it was crazy to not do something crazy at that point because i wanted to die and so it was like i need to do something crazy i need to you know it sounded like plant medicine was a part of your experience and that's pretty crazy for a lot of people i'm i'm about to do a an ayahuasca experience um that starts on friday here at pachamama and I mean, ayahuasca is completely insane. You take this substance and it makes you purge and have diarrhea a lot. And then you have, you, you like die and leave your body and you travel into all these other dimensions. And then you come back and you're completely shaken and confused and don't even know how to integrate and make sense of your experience. I mean, that is completely insane relative to like the average normal waking state of the average Western, you know, human that's alive in America. And, but at the same time, it feels to me at least like the most normal sane thing that one can do in the right proper dosing do, dosage um and at the right point in their journey you know it's such an individualized experience and i, I feel like there's 
trillions of doors there's an infinity and infinite amount of doors to to god or to source or the spirit to our souls and vision quest experiences are just one of them um and plant medicines are just another and you know there's endless yeah that's a good way to put it there's an infinite number of doors to god to source but also to to soul you know and and the 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 western model of medicine has been um talk therapy and um and other um synthetic drugs to to be able to uh i guess it's not even that's not even through the lens of soul to be able to find meaning or solve or address the meaning crisis uh, and it's become more and more clear that 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 those are not suited and 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 they're treating um the symptoms rather than the cause and the causes uh, is so often found at, at the soul level, would you yeah. say? Yeah, there's something I, I feel called to, to share, though. So this same psychi- um, uh, psychiatrist that prescribed me the book, Nature and the Human Soul, that completely changed my life. My my wife, Sam, went to him, and she, like I mentioned, was struggling with bipolar 2 disorder. And he was heavily advocating for a natural approach. Basically, he was saying, Stop drinking caffeine, get a good night's sleep, you know, um, don't, don't work too much. Don't find yourself in stressful situations. But Sam was already too far off the deep end. Like she was already, she, she, she was, she couldn't do that. Like she was already too out of whack and it didn't work. And after a year and a half of like attempting to, to play this holistic health game that my psychiatrist was sort of dogmatizing into her and that she was also believing as well but not able to actually materialize. Um, she hit rock bottom and something really terrible happened to her. And that's when um, she opened, she, she basically opened up to the possibility of using um, pharmaceutical medication to help stabilize her brain activity so that she could then do the holistic health things that could lead to more longer term healing. And so I really learned a lot of important lessons about you know, some of those door, those infinite number of doors to healing and holding into our soul do involve pharmaceuticals, in my opinion, and they do involve more of the Western holistic or more of the Western um, medical system or maybe some of the, the, you know, the standard talk therapy, which was also a huge aspect of my own healing as well. And so, yeah, I just want to be very clear that I'm not um, stigmatizing or, or glorifying any one path or any one approach. Uh, I'm just stating what worked for me. And I'm also, I'm also stating that what worked for me hasn't worked for other people, including the people that I love dearest and that are, that are closest to me and that everyone should trust their soul if they can. And if they can't have access to that, or if they feel cut off to that, then they should trust the people that are closest to them um, to help, you know, guide them um, one baby step in front of the, the next in order, uh, you know, on their path to the, on their own healing journeys. And so, yeah, I think many roads and many destinations as well. And um, for some, this the, the languaging of soul might be really helpful. And for others, it might just completely not resonate or go over their heads, or it might even trigger some traumatic response, like maybe someone that grew up in a fundamentalist um, you know, Christian community or something like soul has a completely different orientation and it lands in a completely different way than someone like myself. I was more into depth psychology and, and is approaching it more from that Jungian lineage. And, and then, so I think it's important to yeah, define our terms a little bit. And there's all of these different lineages and traditions. I, I sense they're pointing to the same essence, but also different. It's also different, you know, like um, it's, it's um, yeah, I think consciousness is experiencing consciousness in an infinite number of ways and we're all creating these maps and 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 using language and saying words like soul and spirit and ego and all this stuff but it actually we don't actually know what one another is speaking about we can kind of guess and intuit and get as close as possible but ultimately it's healthy to remember that our individual experience is our individual experience and there's some timeless and universal qualities to it but there's also um, it's also impossible to decouple that from the the filter of our of this vessel that is experiencing what it's experiencing, and so that individuality and that uniqueness is um, is a gift 
that, that was beautiful. I definitely uh, see what you're, you're pointing to. And, and uh, thank you for calling out that, um, that, that pharmaceuticals definitely uh, have a place in, in, in the healing journey. It's very easy uh, to, um, yeah, to, to, especially in spiritual circles, to, to uh, see them as having no efficacy, but they definitely have a place. Yeah. Switching gears uh, a, a little bit, uh, we've we've covered um, really hey, how. Tim, sorry, uh, I, I just before we switch gears, I wonder if it would just be helpful to define what soul means, because yeah, as I was just speaking to, I was realizing that you know viewers that haven't read Potkin might be super confused as to what we're even speaking about, and so. I'm happy to define it from my perspective. I don't know if Bill Potkin would resonate with us 100%, but I think that's fine. Um, would that be helpful? Yeah, please, please. Okay. So for me, spirit is the consciousness. It's almost like the pixels that make up the, the movie theater screen. And so there's, it's just the pure source that gives rise to everything. And one of the things that it gives rise to is our... Um, ego human bodies our body minds and these body minds are temporary vessels that that live and they die they're born and they die and they're here for a finite amount of time and um, they're part of you know the earth they're part of the material world and but then there's something that basically is directing that body mind there's something that is um larger than that body mind that 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 continues on after we after the physical body decomposes back into the earth or um, and that is the soul and the soul is sort of on an evolutionary journey through multiple lifetimes and it's here to guide us through different initiations and to learn different lessons and to have us basically become that which it has gives rise to the soul and is the soul, which is, um, which is spirit, which is the source. And so it's basically like spirit, which is everything creates the soul, which then creates the human body and the, in the ego mind and then the ego mind and the human body, um, go on a journey to tap into the soul that, it, that is beyond just the, the human ego mind. And then the soul is on a journey to realize that it is actually the source that gives rise to everything and, and including itself. Um, and so they're all technically the same or they're all birthed from the, the same source, um, but they all kind of function in a different way and they play different roles in, in the human experience. And at any time we can tap into one of those dimensions or we can tap into maybe all three simultaneously um, or at, there's times during like uh, peak experiences or meditations or during psychedelics where they can all collapse into one. Um, but ultimately, like the perspective that I have on it is that the goal is not to just um, transcend the human experience in the, in the physical body and the soul. It's to actually um, to, to, hold, to hold it all and to be able to uh, flip perspectives simultaneously or to hold multiple perspectives simultaneously. So it's a come across a situation in life and to look at it from the perspective of soul, which is, you know, not afraid of death because the soul doesn't really die. The soul can go on for multiple lifetimes, but then also to look at it from the perspective of the human and, you know, what is this physical body and what is this ego and this mind and this, this, this person that has specific interests and likes and passions and traumas and um, healing necessities. Like what is the perspective that would be best for that, that vessel? And then what is, what is it that love, that source, that consciousness, that God um, might desire from this experience? And so it's like being able to flip the perspectives simultaneously. I feel like that's, that's the work that I'm most drawn to personally. Um, and, and I sense that Bill Potkin also shares that, that goal or that desire. He sees that as an important aspect of the human journey is, is tapping into all of those dimensions and then being able to hold them simultaneously. Hmm. so switching gears from here um and i'm also wary of of time a little bit um i'm curious um at what point the work of jamie wheel 
came into your life and how um, you would compare uh, the ecology of practice from, from Jamie and Flo Genome Project uh, to uh, that uh, from Bill Plotkin? Yeah. I can dive into that either now or later, but there's one thing that I do feel called to share, which is maybe to illuminate just one story that happens on my vision quest that could give an example of just my own personal healing and transformation that might help illuminate some of these concepts in a more direct way. Sure. Is that something? Yeah, please. Okay. So on the vision quest during the solo, I, um, I had a dream one night and in this dream, it was a, it was a familiar dream. I've had this dream before. And it was a dream where I felt like I was suffocating, like I was drowning. And I woke up from this dream and just very intuitively without really my thinking mind guiding me, it was just an intuitive thing. I decided to suffocate myself in my sleeping bag to basically extend the dream. And I was uh, suffocating myself until I couldn't breathe anymore. And then at the very last second, I burst out of the sleeping bag and I took this giant gulp of air and it was like taking this first breath of air. And I felt like I felt I like stood up and I felt like this surge of energy, like this new life that had just come into me. And I looked down at my watch and it says 6.48 a.m. And I looked down again, I say 6.48 a.m. And that's the exact time I was born on my birth certificate uh, in 1990 when I was born in Maine. And I was like, okay, well, that's weird. That's, that seems like a crazy synchronicity. And then I look around and it had rained so much that night that there was a big storm that came through. And I was camping next to a, uh, a river on Kruger Canyon. And the river had split in two. And basically, cre- I was trapped on this little island. I was um, on this tiny little maybe 10 foot by 10 foot island that my campsite was on. And I was born on an island in Maine at 6.48 a.m. And on, um, on like right above where I was camping is this cliff. And this cliff I was speaking to the day before, I was kind of projecting my, my mom, my, my birth mom, onto this, this rock. And I was talking to her and basically sharing my, my childhood wounds and my, my, the feelings I had towards my mom and the grief I had about our relationship. And I looked up at this rock and I realized that in that moment I had been reborn to Mother Earth. I'd been reborn to a larger mother than just my birth mother. And I now felt like a part of this larger, this larger planet that had like given rise to this, this reborn Tucker. And I realized that my mom lives on Cougar Lane in Colorado, which looked remarkably similar. The landscape, the geography looked remarkably similar to where I was on Cougar Canyon in Southern California, where I was talking to this rock that I had projected as my mom. And so all these synchronicities started to happen. And I, um, a few days after the vision quest, I called my mom and I, I basically told her the short version of the story. And she says, well, you know, Tucker, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when you were born, you really struggled to come out of the womb. You were, um, the doctor said you were kind of kicking and screaming and or not, not screaming, but like kicking and like trying to find your way out of the womb. And it was almost like you were kind of suffocating. You couldn't, you couldn't get out. And finally you were born at 6.48 AM on an island in Maine. And so when my mom told me that story, I just felt like, okay, there's times when it's easy for the brain to just kind of like construct stories and connect dots that maybe are just there, but not there and to like make meaning out of things. But there were just too many synchronicities and there are too many little miracles that happened. And this was on top of, you know, seeing double rainbows and lots of other things that had happened during that experience. And, um, and it, it was just one of those moments where I felt like whether it's soul or spirit or even if it's just my mind that's creating all these coincidences and and like trying to um, turn it into something more than just a coincidence still that's like 
that's so beautiful. And it's so beautiful that I can live into this new reality where like things are happening that are small miracles that are unfolding and that there's these little science in the universe. And it's like, like uh, life becomes a game again and life becomes an adventure and I'm being guided by something that is larger than just myself and my fears and my ego identity. And, and so that was just one of the stories that happened um, that, that, that illuminates some of the, the magic of what happens on, during these experiences for many people. Yeah, it does. It perfectly points to uh, some of the, the, the magic that goes on in those experiences where it, it is easy for, I mean, it's possible for the, the skeptic mind to, to, to pick apart the, the coincidences. But what's more important is uh, in, the, in the finding of meaning and how your, your mind reacts to it is often the key to, 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 to what's going on in the soul. Otaka, thank you so much for your time. This has been a, been a, a beautiful exploration. Um, where, where can people find you? Where can people find more of you? Yeah, well, I am doing some coaching work as well. So I call it travel guide for the soul. And I want to help souls find their way to their next transformative experience. And that could be an internal experience, an external experience, an external internal experience, or anything in between. And so I've um, been traveling all over the world, um, exploring different transformational communities, um, different workshops, different intentional communities and healing centers. And so part of what I do is to help guide people um, to these different places that exist and to find the right fit for the right folks. Um, and then another part of what I do is to just work more in the traditional coaching place of combining, um, yeah, a lot of the different modalities that I've been working in in terms of psychedelic integration or um, these different soul guiding and purpose guiding and um, um, internal family systems parts work and developmental psychology. So there's, there's lots of different modalities that I have in my um, toolbox, but what I pretty much like to do with people is to sit in um, presence, sit in a place of just open awareness and invite their soul to speak and share what's alive for them in that moment and and then allow the conversation to organically unfold and so that's um that's something that i'm offering and that work can be found at tuckerwhitehouse.com awesome i'll include that in the show notes and uh you you also write on on medium oh yeah yep i have some essays on medium which you can connect to through tuckerwhitehouse.com or you can just search for tucker walsh on medium and yeah, and I recently wrote a, an essay about, I call it Mapping the Magic of Pachamama. And it's me trying to understand the recipe of what makes this place so special. But there's also some more universal aspects of the transformational journey that, um, that might be implicable and insightful for folks. So yeah, I invite people to check that out as well. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Tucker. Uh, this will be the yeah. first part, I'm sure we can. Uh, there's there's a bunch that I, I thought would cover that uh, uh, that we won't get to. So so I would have to have you have you on again sometime. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening. Uh, I have attached a bunch of show notes um, to this episode. If you want to find more of Tucker, he is available at TuckerLighthouse.com. That's there for more on his, his coaching offerings. Also linked his article uh, on Medium on the magic of the Pachamama community in Costa Rica. He's currently part of. As well as a link to uh, his short film Treatment Box, which won uh, an Emmy in 2019 for Outstanding Special Class. Um, a bunch of others as well, linking to Bill Plotkin's book, Gary Lock. Gary Lockman's book, um, uh, a book on on the Wild Age of Sorrow that, that, that Tucker recommended, and and probably a couple more. Uh, if you enjoy this conversation, please um, leave uh, a rating and review slash follow on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, all that jazz. Um, you can reach out to Tucker on his website. You can reach out to me. Um, best platform would be Instagram. Awesome, much love. <laughs>